Lauren. Toyota. I bet she's never gotten that. What you, is that like a theme song you're singing? Um, that's like the three note jingle for Toyota. Remember? Old no. school, like Toyota. Really? And, and they would jump in the air and freeze. Yeah, that was classic. Wow, we're going to have to look 90s. that up to verify that because I you're don't welcome. know if I'm um, necessary. It's been verified. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and I'm so glad you are here listening today. And my life is rosy since I've found my rosy. That is Mr. David Rossetti to y'all. I'm here with my husband and producer of the podcast. Say hello, Mr. Rossetti. Hello, Mr. Rossetti. Oh, wah, wah, <laughs> I haven't wah, said that wah. in a while. Um, oh, thank you for saying I'm Oh, rosy. you make my life rosy. Y'all know oh. that song from Bye Bye Birdie. My life is rosy. Rosie. Rosie. I just thought of that today. You're my Rosie. I love that. I am your Rosie. Everyone calls him, Ro- not everyone, but usually like if you direct a show or something, usually the cast is calling you Rosie. Yeah, that stuff. was like my old school name when I worked in Atlanta. I, I got branded Rosie. I like it. It's cute. Yeah. Maybe I'll start my calling Rosie you that. Personality. I remember the first um, time people called I was like, Rosie, what? Who? Who is that? <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell? Koosh balls? Anybody? Um, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. You I'm great. Me. What What are we eating this week? What did we just eat? Oh my god! Pizza off of a pizza stone. Yes, and it was placed on there by a what is that thing called? I don't know. Oh, it's like the little wood. <laughs> you put me on the spot. It's the little, the little pizza shover. The pizza shover. Pizza shover yep. spoon. You heard it here, folks. That shoves the, the, the pizza pizza, pizza peel. 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 That's a what peel. it is. Pizza peel that you like put that in the oven. Yes. Yes. And it was, it was delicious. Delicious. And I did like a copycat Hungry Howie's crust with the Parmesan butter crust. And mm. we used the chorizo. Our dear friend mm. uh, Laura Manzant got us from uh, the herbivorous butcher for our birthday. The herbivorous the herbivorous butcher because we're here we're 40 we got birthday presents and one of them was that delicious chorizo so we had a chorizo pizza and a a howie bread howie style with like cheeses and stuff and we got the william sonoma from an old gift from our our good friend danette danette who officiated our wedding for our anniversary she got us a little gift certificate to william sonoma so anyway we finally used it we, we did we made lots of pizza it was delicious it was amazing so that's something we ate tonight now we don't have the book that we usually flip through because today Today we're talking about a book that is not out yet. I do have the digital Ooh. copy of it, but I don't have it pulled up. But normally David would flip through a book here, um, but I don't That's have exciting. it to put in your hands. So okay. yeah, the book is not out yet. It's coming out in two weeks on March 16th. And the exciting thing is, is uh, you can pre-order the book right now and you get a lot of cool things. So the book we're talking about is Hot for Food All Day, Easy Recipes to Level Up Your Vegan Meals. That's by Lauren Toyota, of course. And if you pre-order it, you get a dessert ebook for free. And you also get access to a digital launch party that she's having on March 16th. Ooh. Yes. Is there anything special happening at the oh, launch party? Oh, there is. Party? I'm going to be a special guest. So oh, I'll be there celebrating. Yeah, I'm super stoked. And I love, love, love this book. When I did get the review copy a while ago, I did make a few things out of it. Do you remember the corn chowder that we had? Oh, 100. Yes. Well, yes, I, mean, yes. I love anything corn chowder. But you do. That's why I made it. Very, very delicious. And um, one of the things you can do with this book is you level everything up to use in another recipe. So I use that corn chowder to make a cacio. 
e Pepe. And uh, oh my god, to your that, face. Was that like Mario and Luigi? Just I kind of just say it like as Italian accentish as I can in case it's got wrong. You the it just like go. It just exactly. it's done, and we're, we move on. You just gotta kind of decide. I, I feel like it sounded great. That was excellent. Thank you so much. I was like, who's you. here? <laughs> What Italian man? It's a Luigi. Um, and then we made a club sandwich from it with beet bacon. You love beets. Do you remember uh, that club sandwich? Yes, yes, I yes, didn't yes, know yes. I missed club sandwiches until I had this club sandwich out of this book. It was so beet, good. Beet bacon. Mm-hmm. Beet bacon. Hey, nay. Hey, nay. Do you remember I made a, a what did I make before? A lemon. Like a, uh, what was it? It was lemon chia bread? Yes. Yes. That was the last thing I made out of it. We're going to have to make more, but that was also delicious. Citrusy and, mm-hmm. and yummy, yummy with some icing on it. Uh, Lauren Toyota, of course, is the author and the creator of Hot for Food. Lauren has made a name for herself as an inspirational, influential voice of a generation with armies of social audiences hanging on her every word. Lauren is now living the dream as her very own modern day media outlet, having seamlessly transitioned from close to 10 years as national television host to independent self-made content producer. Currently, she she is devoted to creating authentic and engaging creative content on her YouTube channels, Lauren in Real Life and Hot for Food. She's part of the Kin Community, the number one lifestyle network on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, prior to becoming an expert in vegan living, recipe development, and digital content creation, Laura, uh, Lauren was the host of MTV Canada's After Degrassi. Oh, Degrassi. 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 Never seen it, but that sounds amazing. <gasps> Sorry. David! What? Oh, you would get into some Degrassi. I don't know. Oh, you it really would little, get into some Degrassi. Looks a little teeny. It, it absolutely is, and it absolutely <laughs> was. All right. Well, that's where she riffed on one of her favorite <laughs> shows. Yes, yes. Um, that she's been watching forever. Um, she even got to make a cameo in season 12 of the cult series along Chaz Bono. She sure did. And Lauren was uh, also featured on MTV News Canada as a host and producer. Yes. Now, listen, there is a wealth of information on Lauren's history and media at laurentoyota.com that goes way beyond what we are mentioning here. Uh, if you want to know more about her impressive career, it's really a lot to take in and so interesting how she went from working in TV to paving her own way in the vegan food scene with her content. Which you get to um, in uh, some in the interview as well. Uh, we do. We, we dig back a little bit, but, you know, then yeah. we move forward and we talk about the books. Yeah, because we're here, we're here for the books. We're here for the books! As always, um, uh, Lauren's first contribution as an author was Vegan Comfort Classics in 2018. Um, you made the apple fritters from that um, a while ago, and we had the... And we had to, uh, yeah, promptly just get them out of the house. We sure they did. Had, they had to leave. We sure did. We would have eaten them. I think we all gave some of them away. We they had were to. Just so good. And I mean, we that's the problem, all. right? With us is we make these things from these books, and if it's something, I thank goodness that I do go to work every day, and you go to work every day, and we have these people to take food to because whoo, yeah, we, we no, cannot be true. keeping apple fritters in the house. We would have eaten mm, those whole things. Mm. They were easy to make, and they were super freaking delicious. And actually. I think I still get comments about those. As you should. From, they were I brought amazing. them to, like, I was working on that Christmas show. Yes. And yes. they literally kept asking, so where's the ah! apple fritters? Like, well, okay. they're amazing, and they should ask about them, because they're amazing, just like Lauren is. I can't tell y'all how much I adore this person. Uh, and today we're going to dive into her new book coming out in just a couple weeks. As I mentioned on March, March 16th, it's called Hot for Food All Day, Easy Recipes to Level Up Your Vegan Meals. So let's get it started already. Here she is to spill the tea on all the goodness, Lauren Toyota. <laughs> 
it's the queen of vegan food porn, the one and only She's Hot for Food. Please welcome to the podcast, the stunning and glorious Lauren Toyota. Thanks for being here, Lauren. Ah, oh, thanks for having me, Dustin. This is so fun. I, I feel like it's been a long time coming that I've needed to like connect with you and like meet you, even though we're not really meeting, but we're kind of meeting. <laughs> yes, I love that. Me too. Me too. I've just been a fan and watching you for so long. So I really am so happy to finally meet you and have you on and get to chat it up a little bit about food, that thing we all love. My fave thing. Yes, yes, yes. Let's move into the icebreaker question. Since people know you so well, what is something people might not know about you? We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, Bar and Girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. It's hard, right? Because I reveal it all on the I was, internet. Listen, I was watching, uh, you know, some stuff on the YouTube. And I was like, what is she going to say to this question here? Okay, this is going to be a weird answer, but it's definitely something people won't know about me. On my left leg, right in the center of my thigh on the top, I have a mole. And it was, sh- it is or was shaped like a drop. So it looked like a drop of chocolate. And I hated it. Like growing <laughs> up, I was so embarrassed because people would be like, Ew, what's that? Poo? And they'd make fun of me. And so I got some of it removed as I got older, but the whole thing, it's just, it can't get removed the whole thing. So now it just looks like a irregular mole. It's such a weird answer, but definitely no one like, would know that. You have like a semi drop now. <laughs> yeah. But have now you I'm like, seen I should have just left it. I should have not tried to cut it off. Oh my God. <laughs> have you seen the movie um, Superstar? Of course you have, right? You've seen Superstar. Wait, yeah? Superstar with like, mo- with, uh, like yeah, Molly, Molly Shannon? Yeah, Molly Shannon, where she's like, the kid has a birthmark and she's, she's like, your birthmark looks like shit. <laughs> and they're kids. And I always, oh like, when, whenever anyone talks about a mole or something, I always think back to that. Well, that's know. what mine, people thought mine looked like that. <laughs> rude haters rude embrace the body embrace it all uh well my uh thing that people might not know about me is that i toured with muppets um (gasps) i I was an actor before all the food shenanigans and um one of the first gigs i had one of the first professional gigs i had was touring with sesame street live i was the only like live like human character surrounded by muppets it was crazy Okay, that's really fun and cool. I interviewed I interviewed Kermit once. I mean, that's kind of specific. Yes, I love that. Well, the fun part is on the down days, I got to be Oscar the Grouch. Oh. So I there was me and another human, and we switched back and forth all the time. So it was great. I got to learn some puppetry stuff, which I think I'm probably not supposed to talk about. But it was a long time ago, so I guess maybe whatever I signed then, maybe it's void. Who knows? Okay. Uh well, it's it's uh, just such a treat to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know before you became the vegan expert you are today, your other hats include work as a successful producer, host, and VJ. Everyone needs to check out the About tab at laurentoyota.com to learn more about the outstanding accomplishments Lauren has <laughs> under her belt. Seriously, in the world of media, before you, she even thought about making tofu cool, uh, you also need to see how you worked those bangs, girl. You had some serious bangs back in the day. 
Oh, I had a serious wig, basically. I mean, it was Did my real, well, it was my real hair, but I wore extensions all the time. I was very fake. I was very, I had fake eyelashes. I had <laughs> a padded bra. I have fake hair. Yeah. So hard. I mean, I'm assuming all part of a glam squad sort of situation, right? Yeah, it sort of just goes with the territory. To be honest, yeah. I liked it. You know, I liked it. I was very, I was, I was super into it. But when, you know, once I wasn't on television anymore, it was nice to, uh, strip back you know i haven't colored your, my hair yeah your fake hair down so to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have a really good friend who's now a host on uh um like big wrestling shows on uh like the usa network and she is glammed up it's it's amazing to see the difference like i mean she's gorgeous when she's not glammed up quite like yourself either way i was gonna say bangs or no bangs or extensions or no extensions gorgeous either way but it's a the when you've got that glam squad coming in it's like every little detail gets put into place it's amazing it's true and it's fun and you know what's so funny is i looked back or I look back now so I got really obsessed with watching RuPaul's Drag Race um during quarantine yeah I'm a little late I'm a little late to the party but anyway did you just start watching it during the quarantine yes and I've now watched every single thing oh honey it's it's so easy to get sucked in once you're in it's there I'm so obsessed and I feel so dumb that I'm so late but anyways it reminded me that I was like oh my god I was a drag queen like I got dressed up in drag like every day 100%. Yeah. So I kind of, I liked making that little connection because it it really was like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, boy, girl, whoever you are putting on all the goodies, it's just, it's drag no matter what. We're all born naked and the rest is drag. So they say. Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, and I love, I was just watching your, uh, your, it might be your latest video that was up uh, um, on Lauren in real life where it was the come for me video and you were watching (laughs) Oh my gosh, when that guy was, first of all, his accent, you didn't, I don't think you commented on the accent once, but his accent as he was critiquing your video was hysterical to me because he's like, she looks pale and exhausted. And I was like, (laughs) what, what is this man coming for her for? It was hysterical. That was a great video. I loved it. I'm just glad I found that video because I didn't know it. Exi- <laughs> I didn't know it even existed, and you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to make fun of him or anything because he's doing that to me. So I was like, I'm just sure, going to take the higher sure. road. But it, but I t- it turns out he eats raw meat and he he eats the oh sun and all of this shit. So I was like, okay, well, I not- mean, amazing, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it it takes takes all kinds, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, I figured that might not have been why you said anything about the accent. To me, it was more like. I don't know if it's making fun, but it makes me giggle because he's saying all of these like very serious things. But then it was kind of like almost like I don't know. It was it was it was a great video to watch. Everyone go watch the come for me video that uh, uh, Lauren has uh, posted there on Lauren in real life. Let's focus in on the food aspect today, because I could go on and on asking you questions about your history as a VJ Mm -hmm. doing interviews with the likes of Kanye West, Taylor Swift, Drake, Justin Bieber. Oh, so many. Uh, So maybe that's another podcast altogether. But let's take it back. Before there was TV and food, where did you grow up? And maybe tell us, how was cooking part of your life growing up, if it was part of your life before Hot for Food? Yeah, it definitely was. Um, I grew up in a place called Mississauga, Ontario, which is in Canada, just outside right. of outside of Toronto, the suburbs. And um, yeah, my my I feel like, yeah, food has really informed my life. Like I just remember always being very interested in like what I was eating and paying attention to that. My mom cooked. Uh, she wasn't like, you know, anything like fancy, but she would just, you know, try recipes 
from like we'd get this calendar every year, the milk calendar from the milk dairy board, and it would come in the mail, and she'd make recipes from that or like what something kind in of a mag- stuff did the milk calendar have in it like what kind do you remember what kind of recipes it had yeah i mean actually i loved it so it was like you know it was obviously sponsored by like the dairy board of canada or whatever but um it had like comfort food like it would make like a Got you know you. yeah like a creamy some type of chowder like everything sure. had to have dairy it was like full of dairy like all the recipes <laughs> Well, do you know when you said milk calendar, I was thinking, are there different, like how there's different types of wine? I was like, are there different types of like milks and cows? And I was like, I think I'm going <laughs> off in a dark place with that. I should clarify. For yeah, myself. no, it was just like, it was just to promote eating dairy products, yep. which obviously I'm so against now, but at the sure. time, you know, that's what we were doing. So anyway, but yeah, my mom would try different recipes like on the weekend or whatever. So it was always part of my life. And I remember helping in the kitchen. Also my grandma and I would bake, like baking was always a fun activity. So I feel like I was just always around it. And then when I actually went vegetarian at age 12, I remember I'd, I, that's when I started experimenting with like just making my own components to the meals that my, my family would make. I just take the vegetables, but then I would figure out how to make tofu on the side of something tasty or whatever. So like, that's when I started kind of playing around. Vegetarian at 12 then, you said, right? Yeah, I think I was 12 okay. or 13. Yeah, 12 or 13, and yeah. Then when did veganism come into play? Well, veganism came into play much later. Um, I've kept flip-flopping from vegetarian to not vegetarian throughout college okay. and like my 20s. And then all the while, though, in the back of my head was this little voice just being like, you got to quit with the animal products. And I I just refused to give up the dairy products. Um and didn't want to be a bother and didn't want to like restrict myself and all this stuff. I was really a foodie at that time. I was super into just like sure. going to restaurants, like, you know, having all the wine, all the, trying mm-hmm. all the things on the menus. I lived in yeah. Vancouver, lived in Vancouver, BC, which was a really big foodie, you know, city. So I just never wanted to change. And then, you know, I think I just was eating too much animal products and I just started feeling sick and it, I like never, they never sat well with me. So I had to make a change. And, um, in 2009, I just started reading more. I watched food Inc. I read yep. omnivores dilemma. I got Alicia Silverstone's the kind diet. And I just started on this path where I was like, okay, I'm going to just like start eliminating one thing at a time. And then I set a date that like by January 1st, 2010, I would be vegan and never look back. And that's essentially what happened. And it's been that way ever since. Now, already being visible in the media, did it ever come up? Was it ever brought up? Like, and did you have to talk about it? Or was it something you kind of like, it was your personal thing at the time? How was that? For yeah, you? it was. So it was personal at the time. And I kind of kept it quiet. Like it wasn't part of my my media persona by any means. Sure. And I and I definitely tried to keep them separate from like 2010 till about 2014. And I myself, you know, it was just a diet thing for the first three years, I still like would purchase leather shoes. And I, I wasn't thinking about all the other things in my life being cruelty free and vegan until about 2013. So it was like the first three years of vegan were just about the food. Um, And so that's why I felt like I didn't want to like claim myself vegan even because I was afraid of getting, you know, uh, critiqued about how I'm not the perfect vegan, right? I think everyone goes through that phase. And so but by the time I made a decision to kind of like really integrate it as a lifestyle in all aspects, I was also working at MTV Canada. And uh, it was funny because we were in this really weird place where there wasn't much going on. We even, we could feel like 
there was layoffs going to happen soon and no one was really supervising us. We did whatever we wanted and we had to just come up with ideas for MTV news. And I was like, can I like come out on television as a vegan? Like, can we do something about my veganism? Like, and the, and this one producer was super into it and he's like, sure, I'll do it with you. And so we went on this little adventure of me, like exploring like my veganism and like, kind of like confessing, like, I'm not a real vegan. Like I still buy leather. And like, sure. I, went, I went to like some protests and I, I was super against like the activist community. I just felt really uncomfortable with it, but I put myself into it and tried to like really just understand like all the different aspects of veganism. And it was like, by doing that kind of like coming out publicly really furthered just my commitment furthered, I think even my commitment to like hot for food, which had already been created, but I hadn't really like, I don't know, dug my heels in. And right. that's, I would say that's where it really shifted like 2013, 2014 and doing that segment on MTV Canada, I would think it was pretty monumental. I mean, it was like a 10 minute two part segment on MTV news. And it was kind of like, you had you didn't start seeing that really getting talked about publicly at that time, at least not on Canadian television. No, so, no. Yeah. So it was just kind of a cool moment. And I, I feel like it was a turning point for me, for sure. That's great that you did that. I am trying to think of that time period. Our, our timeline is actually quite similar. I, mm-hmm. I think it was like 2009 for me. I started doing it. And then 2010, I was committed by then. And then at like 2014 is when I started doing stuff with the vegan roadie. So I'm in luck, but I get exactly what you're saying. It's like, I call them the vegan police when I do mm-hmm. food presentations. And there's that great thing that Miyoko Shinner has done where she has labeled her things unapologetically vegan because that's what, for the longest time, I almost felt like I was apologizing yeah. for being vegan. Like I was like, oh, I know that like this is going to make you uncomfortable. So I'm really sorry about that. When ultimately I'm like, now I'm I'm like, hey, it, it's what I am. It's what I eat. And if you're interested, I can tell you more about it. That Like, and it's that simple, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. And it is cool. Like our timelines. And I think a lot of people's timelines, you know, like I think Jackie yeah. and Yak Attack and like, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool how like it was all happening. Like you know, what's, I'm trying to think of the right term, but it's, it's just like this energy, right? Like everyone's tapped into some type of movement. It's all happening simultaneously. You don't really understand the bigness of it. I think that's what we've seen evolve since that time till now, because look how big it is and look how vocal people are and look at all the people like us doing comfort food and just how it's becoming so much more mainstream. It's like, we were all working at it into like separately, but together we didn't realize yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying all of that, exactly that, like how big it has actually grown in the last, like, just, I mean, the five years, but I feel like then those five years before that was, I mean, obviously it's been years of legwork going into it, of people working sort of in synergy with it, but now, like, it really is just starting to explode. Uh, and when we yeah. look at Hot for Food, then you're saying it was happening around that same time. When did Hot for Food come come about and sort of how did it start for you? Well, it actually started at the same time I was transitioning to going fully vegan because I started a blog just as a way for me to like be accountable. Like it was like, I'll just do this little like online diary more or less. Sure. Um, but it, it was a crappy looking blog and it wasn't a real domain. It was like hotforfoodblog.wordpress.com. And I didn't know sure. anything, didn't know anything <laughs> about anything. I was like, I don't even know how to do this. Right. Um, but I just fiddled around. And so that is where it started. It really started from the very beginning, but it didn't really become anything until Instagram. And I, and I created an Instagram for it in 2013. Um, and that's when I tapped into, you know, the, I could see like, that was the time when people were doing the food photos and all that stuff it was becoming a movement. And 
Instagram really elevated that and you could tap into stuff. And that's where I was like, oh, there's all these other vegans kind of like doing like I remember Nom Yourself. Uh, Mary was like one mm-hmm. of the people I found at that beginning time. And I was like, whoa, look what Mary's doing. And she had a big account. And and I was sort of looking at a few people going like, well, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to be part <laughs> of this. I'm going to be part of this scene. And then I just. I don't know. I just posted. It was fun. Like the thing is, is I wasn't like strategizing. I was just having fun and like playing around. And I think that's why it worked. And by 2014, I re I didn't rebrand, but I almost branded because I hadn't really branded hot for food in any way. And so by 2014, I, I relaunched the blog as a proper domain. And at that time I actually launched it with my boyfriend at the time, John. And so that was a big motivator for me to like go forward. Cause he, we were just both so passionate about something and I thought it would be cool to like present it, present it together, you know? And yeah. so that's really where it went off. Um, 20, yeah, 2013, 2014, even though I had started it by myself when I went vegan and the name was, I don't even know how I came up with the name, but it just always felt like it was something that it just came to me and then it just stuck and it just felt right. So well, it's uh, certainly changed the way uh, people look at vegan food. Uh, you've created a relatable and accessible content for the mainstream, making vegan eating and living more of a celebration, I think, rather than something to be intimidated by. Thank you. I like that. You're, yeah, of course. And I like that you're saying uh, it, it was it was it, you're, you're sounding like it was very much for fun at the time. And but I'm curious, did you go this sort of celebration rather than intimidation factor? Did you go into it with a clear vision of that? Or was it something that just sort of evolved after time? No, it definitely was the mission from the beginning. Because right. during those couple months before January 1st, 2010, that I was reading and watching and blogging and I actually got lost my job in 2008. So I had this time where I, I, this is where I tapped into like myself and how I was feeling. So I made the diet change and I had a lot of time on my hands. I was actually just waiting tables and working at different restaurants because I thought my television career was over because I had gotten let go because of the 2008 recession. So I was going through this like personal transformation. And when I started getting into vegan food, I went in the raw direction because that was what was popular at the time. Yes. raw cashew cheese and smoothies and raw mm-hmm. like collard rolls and all this stuff. And I was like, this is cool. You know, I never looked at food this way, but I very quickly got very bored and tired of it and was like, mm-hmm. I can't eat like this. Like I am mm-hmm. not going to keep with this. If this is what I have to eat. And I kind of fell into a bit of a misconception. Like this is what it means to be vegan. So because of that, I, I started looking for other stuff. And of course there's Issa, you know, post-punk kitchen and stuff that I, that I did find that I was like, okay, there's like cool vegans. Like, like there is this out there. And I just wanted to kind of be part of that. I was like, there's not enough of this. There's too much of the like perfect, healthy green juice type vegans and not enough of the, just the regular people who happen to be vegan. And so, yeah, I would say from the beginning, this idea of hot for food, um, the name, like for me, like, cause I always, I'm kind of sexual. It was like, okay, this is about being sexy and edgy and like hot yes. for food. Like, you know, that's where that name sort of just popped into my mind. Like it was a feeling like I am hot for food. Like let's focus on the food. Let's make the food hot. Let's make the food cool and good and comfort food. So because I was a big comfort food fan as an omnivore, I was like, why, like, why would I, I got to start doing that. Like, let's go back to like what I actually like doing. And so, yeah, it was part of the mission. It might not have been super, super clear, but when I think back, I remember that 
that was my intention. Like I want to present vegan food. That's fun. That is a celebration of being vegan and not this like strict, perfect level 10 type weird thing. Right. Right. I remember for me, cause that sounds very, I just, I, my, my crossover where I really finally it hit, it struck a chord for me was reading the book skinny bastard. And in that, yeah. they, they were giving me the extreme facts of everything, but they were also making me laugh and like making me think and making like, I just didn't feel attacked the entire time. Yeah. So I think you're right around that time, especially there was definitely a need for this. So, so good on you. Thank well, goodness you I, came along. I didn't, I didn't mention skinny bitch, but that was one of the books I read too. That really clicked for me on the cheese and really was just yeah. made me snap. It made me snap out of it. Reading skinny bitch. I just snapped out of it. Me too. And, but, and it was that thing for me though, where they did both. I was like, wow, they're giving me that extreme thing. But then in the next page, they're making me laugh about something, you yeah, know? So, it, so I really didn't feel like I was like being policed at all. That's for sort sure. Of thing. Uh, well, what was, speaking of all these books, what is, you may have said it already, but what was the very first vegan cookbook you ever owned? Oh, I mean, it might have been Alicia Silverstone's The Kind Diet. Okay. It's my favorite question to ask on this, especially someone, because everyone knows you so well. I'm like, what was the first one she had? And owned? Yeah, okay. that was that was the one I remember because I actually posted none of these old posts from that early version of Hot for Food are up there because they weren't they weren't <laughs> they weren't even vegan, a lot of them. But um the book I remember posting about the book, that book, and that was the only one I ever posted about. <laughs> the only book you ever posted about? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really get into posting about cookbooks once sure. I started my own recipes, yeah. but yeah, that was, that was the only one I ever posted in the early days. And I, so that must've been the first one. Cause it was really the one that got me thinking. Cause she, she actually talks about like, Oh, if you want to eat a cube of cheese, eat a cube of cheese. And, uh, I thought about that at the beginning. I think even in after January 1st, like I think that first month I might've slipped on like, Oh, there's a piece of cake. So I would eat it. But then I would always feel super sick. And I'm like, okay, yeah. you got it. You just got to stop. Like you just got to quit it. I mean, I hung on to, cause I lived in New York. I lived in New York the last 20 years. I just moved to Atlanta the last year. And, um, I, you know, it was a slice of cheese pizza for me. That was the last thing. That was the hardest thing for me to sort of say goodbye to. There's always that little thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyways, let's touch on your books now. We're going to talk about the first book, uh, and then we'll dive into the second one that's going to come out in a couple weeks. Your first book, Hot for Food, Vegan Comfort Classics, one, one, 101 Recipes to Feed Your Face, came out in February 2018 and quickly became a bestseller. And it's so good, yummy, and delicious. When you first started Hot for Food, uh, was a cookbook always in your sights? I always feel a little guilty saying this because it wasn't. And I feel like a, <laughs> I feel like a brat because so many people, it's like their dream, they want to make a book. But I have to be honest, and it really wasn't because I, I just thought like, it wouldn't be a lucrative thing. I thought maybe like cookbooks were antiquated. You know, I didn't get really into like buying a lot of cookbooks because I really wanted to sort of learn how to cook kind of on my own, like and intuitively. So I looked at books, but I didn't have a lot of them. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't necessarily a big fan. So I thought, well, then why would I make one? No one's going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I do love, I actually, I'm going to ask you about that later. I love that side of you, this intuitive part. You really empower people to sort of like, you know, 
get those training wheels off and go at it. And it's one of the things that I do, even though you're giving us a book with your books, you are encouraging people to like fly on their own, try things. And that's one of the things I really, really love about just Hot for Food and the books uh, with all of that. And was it a no brainer that this first book would be Comfort Foods? Obviously, I feel like, right? Yeah, it definitely was. When I finally decided it was the right time to do it, and I had talked to who is my now publisher or half of my publisher, uh, I met with the editor, and and I went home from the meet that meeting when I, I was really motivated, and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to do a book." And I remember putting together a proposal, and I don't think it, I didn't put vegan comfort classics. I think it was called like vegan comfort food or something like that. But right. um, the proposal was definitely, yes, all the comfort food, because that was really the basis for the recipes on the blog. So, uh, you know, I really envisioned for sure that cauliflower, the Buffalo cauliflower being on the front, um, because it was sort of the famous hot for food recipe at the time. And I was like, yeah, so it, it was, it was definitely meant to be for sure. I mean, people had been asking. So once I was on YouTube, I would say within a less than a year, people were like, when are you going to put out a cookbook? And I, I really was like, oh, I'm really? <laughs> like, I was like, you guys are going to want a cookbook. Like, I didn't get it. I don't know. It's so weird how I, but you have to come to your own. You have to come to your own decisions, right? Like you can't when people tell you one thing, I don't I never believe it. I, I have to get there myself. So it was kind of that type of process. Yeah, but you also you you produce such great content, and, and it's so funny people being like, "Give us a book." I'm kind of feeling like, "Well, isn't this enough? Like, isn't she giving you enough, people? Please." Yeah, that's part of it too. I think I thought, well, what? Don't, you're getting free videos, like right, right. <laughs> but it's so what? How great to have people embrace the brand that way and really want a book. How fantastic that that oh that's got to feel really great. Well, yeah, and it was a complete game changer. And you know, it was one of those things. Like I didn't realize how smart it would be to make a book. Sure. I didn't, it took me a while to warm up to the idea. Then when the idea felt right and I went forward, I knew it was the right thing to do, but I could never have imagined where it would take me by doing a book, if that makes any sense. Like I just, it's been so incredible. It definitely, I guess, like leveled up my business, my career, my reputation. It just, I, you know, for, and of course now I see why, but like having a printed published book, it's like, it's like, you know, me being a television person, like it has this cachet that is perceived in a certain way that I mean, that's just the truth. And so I think it's just part, it's part of a good marketing plan. If you're getting, if you're really serious about, you know, your online business, you got to think about how you can, how you can move forward and evolve. And that definitely was just the right decision. And then I got hooked, you know, then I was like, Oh, I actually enjoyed this whole process. It's different than videos, right? It's different than posting to Instagram, making videos. It's like a body. My, My friend, you know, Timmy from Mississippi vegan. Yeah. He uses the word a body of work because he has an art background and he's made lots of bodies of work as an artist. And when he described it that way about a book, I was like, yeah, that's the right, that's the right thing. And it it makes you feel there's just something different about creating a body of work that is satisfying. And I, I really enjoy it. Well, and it's tangible and it's, it's this, when you get that book in your hands and you're, you're like, oh, this is another element to what I'm doing. And it's actually like, a um, I have this conversation on this podcast a lot with the authors. It's, it's like almost a nice time capsule of where you're at at that time. You know, videos are oh, great. Yeah. You get the 10 minutes, 15, five minute video of, of what's happening in that moment. But this book really just, it takes it and it holds it. It's like a nice little time capsule, you know? For sure. That's how I looked at it too, because I mean, hot for food and my life changed so much 
as that book was uh, getting printed and coming out, because I broke up with my ex-boyfriend and he was a big part of Hot for Food. And, you know, there was a lot of personal growth and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of stuff I had to deal with at that time. But when I look back on the book, I'm so proud of it because it really is just a time capsule of what Hot for Food was at the beginning. And and now that I'm doing the second one, the second one's about to come out, I see like this evolution and I see this difference. And that's what's so cool is like, there's these just evolutions, these moments in time of like, what this whole thing has been. It's so cool to have that, like to have those memories and then also be able to share that with the people who support you. Well, and of course, this book, we get the mouthwatering imagery that you're so good with it. It accompanies all the delicious recipes. You actually start the book off with my favorite and something I want to devote an entire book to one day. Actually, I think you should. I think you would make a killer book on this <gasps> category, but brunch. So yeah. when we talk about brunch, what are what, what's one of your favorite recipes in the brunch chapter in this first book? Oh, it's so hard to choose. <laughs> pick a baby. Pick one of your I babies. Know. I really, well, I mean, I think something that's very me is the, is the, uh, breakfast tachos, <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. which is super simple. It's not like I'm reinventing the wheel, but it takes just like a really good scramble and then repurposes scramble, like either a fresh scramble or leftover scramble by baking it with the tots and black beans and like all the nacho fixings. So to me, that's brunch because it's breakfast, but also lunch and dinner combined, right? It's like, it could be any meal. Absolutely. And 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 tater tots are just so great anytime. Like, I am obsessed. Anybody that follows me knows I'm obsessed with tots. But like, I'll just eat a plate of tots with ranch dip for dinner. Like, that's 100%. my dinner. 100%. Like, whenever <laughs> I go, if, I, if I'm at a restaurant and they're like, and there's potatoes on the menu and they're like, tots are there. I'm like, well, this is a no brainer. This is not like, we know what we're doing here. We're getting tots. That's what's happening. So if it's like French fries or tots, do you pick tots? Tots. Always yes. tots. Yes. I was going to say you. Okay. Yeah, always tots. I love French fries. I mean, it's hard to oh, choose, but please. always tots. Yeah. Potatoes. My husband's always like, well, if there's a potato in it, I know you'll be okay. I'm like, well, can it just be potato? Do we have to do all the other stuff? <laughs> Um, well, what I love about this first book, and you do it with your second book as well, but with the with both of these books, they're not one of recipes. You you create items that we can re- use and reuse again, and for other recipes within the books. Uh, in this first book, the get saucy chapter at the end of the of it, uh, it, it's it's a saucy chapter to live by, y'all. It, it's got five different aiolis, uh, gravy, barbecue sauce, relish, peanut sauce. The list goes on. But my dear, what's mm. your must have sauce if you had to pick one? Does it have to be from the new book or just in general? Let's pick one. I let let's let's get on the first book. Pick a sauce from the first book. Let's go from oh, there. The ranch, y'all. Here's yes! the thing. I'm a ranch fiend, and like mm-hmm. as an omnivore, I would like barely touch ranch because I was like, ooh, it's like full of meat. Like it's like the animal fat, right? Like I was always kind of a yeah. bit like, ooh. Same with mayonnaise, but as a uh-huh. vegan, like I'm like load up the mayonnaise, load up the ranch because it's clean. It's just like vegetable oil. <laughs> yeah. What's the base of your ranch dressing in that first book? Oh, it is mayonnaise. Like I show people how to make a homemade mayonnaise, but to be honest, Delicious. I usually just cheat and use the jarred stuff and then add all the spices and herbs. And of course, I mean, it's way more flavorful than the kind you can buy in the store. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and of course on the cover, there is the towering Buffalo cauliflower sandwich that you've spoke of. Uh, there's a chapter called stacked sandwiches featuring oyster mushroom po'boy, a Monte Cristo and a barbecue jackfruit sandwich. There's hearty soups chapter and listeners you will love. There is a, 
a gooey French onion soup. This is one of my favorite picks in this first book. It uses the matzo cheese from the sauce chapter for the cheesy topping. You have a big bowls and salads chapter, and then you get us with everyone's favorite oodles of noodles. What are a couple pasta dishes from the first book you can tell us about? Oh, the oodles of noodles. I really love the green pea pesto linguine because it's so Mm. easy and it's so flavorful. And I love green peas so much. Yes, I do too. I feel like it's underused, but I really do love green peas. Yeah, they have a bad reputation like Brussels sprouts, which is also why I put Brussels sprouts in that first book, because you just got to know how to season, you know, not overcook these things so that they don't so that they turn yellow, you got to keep them green, right? So I love frozen peas, I throw them into everything, you can just soak them in water, you don't even really like need to cook them, right? They're already kind of flash frozen. Uh, and yeah. yeah, and they're done so quick. But and I, I love you have fun with food, one might say you hot for food, which is one of the reasons <laughs> people are drawn to your recipes. And one of my favorites when it comes to fun is the waffle top cottage pie in the main event chapter. Can you tell us about the waffle top cottage pie? Well, I definitely, you know, wanted to do like shepherd's pie is a classic comfort food. But I whenever I think of like, okay, this is a classic, how can I do a twist on it is always what I'm thinking, right? Um, So I just I mean, I kind of became obsessed with waffles around that time, because I had finally gotten a waffle iron in my life. Um, So I definitely wanted to do like a waffle top version with the with a mashed potato waffle just to make it a little different. Plus, it gets so crispy as we were talking about our love for potatoes. So nothing's better than a crispy potato in large format like a waffle Mm. (laughs) a side note to all the listeners that everyone just get a waffle maker if you're thinking about it if you're on the fence like honey it'll change your life i i did in my second book epic vegan i've got a waffle tot grilled cheese tots again here we go Uh, yeah Uh, waffle tot grilled cheese and then terry hope romero's got a waffle a tofu waffle in one of her books it's just a great inexpensive kitchen like you don't have to spend it's so good it's like seasoned just right and like it's actually a great way like i love to air fry tofu now but like plop these like tofu slices in a waffle maker it's so great it's so good and crispy um but it's a great waffle makers everyone an inexpensive kitchen gadget you don't have to like splurge on it if you don't want to and no, the one that i used in vegan comfort classics was 30 dollars exactly and everyone you will use it way more than you think look i gave you like three places to use it just now yeah and yeah. I mean, potatoes and a waffle maker, I couldn't think of anything better. Um, and of course, we've got sweets uh, in this first book, a sweets chapter. I made the apple fritters from here last weekend. And yeah, they uh, looked the- really perfect. Good on you. Oh, thank you, my queen. They were <laughs> delicious. My husband took them to he's uh, directing a show right now, if you can believe it in the pandemic, all social distancing and uh, just musical mm-hmm. theater madness. But um, he took them to the cast because I can't have them sit in the house like I had to have one. And I was like, okay, now you need to take these. Okay, but leave two more here, just <laughs> in case I need to taste those again. But everyone in his show didn't know they were vegan. It was perfect. So we did the thing that we set out to do, right? Everyone was like, I, what? These are yeah. vegan? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's what I like about when I make desserts, because I really make sure that these are undetectably vegan. Because yeah. yeah, and no offense to anyone making healthy desserts, but it's just not my thing. Like, if I want to eat a dessert, I need it to have sugar in it and fat. Like, I don't want to be eating, like, a date square or a date ball. Like, I just don't. So, I just, <laughs> I am just 
forthcoming from the beginning that like desserts are desserts and breakfast is breakfast. Like they're different. So you got to have all the clap, like, you know, all the ingredients are vegan, sugar, flour, whatever. You just swap vegan butter and other like vegan fats, like coconut creams and stuff like that. So that's my, that's my big, I guess, PSA on vegan desserts. And that's really why, I mean, I loved making the dessert chapter in the first book and the second book, and I never get sick of doing treats. So well, I mean, it sounds like you're not going gaga for aquafaba, though, which I can appreciate not going gaga for aquafaba. I don't go gaga for it, but I happened to nail that meringue in that book for the lemon meringue pie tarts yes. because it needed, because it, you know, it needed xanthan gum in it to keep it stable. Otherwise, it just gets very watery as time goes on, as you have the tarts out. So I put xanthan gum in the aquafaba, which Great. truthfully, I had not seen anyone do because I was like, this aquafaba stinks or this meringue stinks unless uh-huh. it has something holding it together. So uh, there's a place we filmed at in Utah. I think it's called City Cakes when we were doing the uh, vegan roadie episode there. And they had these insane aquafaba meringues and we didn't actually talk about them on the show we didn't like see them till we were leaving and then we got some and I, they were amazing and i still don't know what they did to make them the way they did with aquafaba they were kind of out of this world i was like shocked. were they like pavlova style what is, i don't what does that mean they i because oh. I, I i'm not big on meringues so i didn't even know i don't know the distinctions between all of that oh well i've been trying to make pavlova but it's Again, it's hard to get it to stabilize. And is that when it's like crispy when it's yeah. done? Yeah, it's yes. like baked. It's like a baked meringue. So it's got like a crunch. You you kind of press it and it crunches and, and that's like what sticky it was. And sticky in the middle. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I know it's definitely possible because I've had them. I've had like chefs make them for me at restaurants and I've had them. But when I try to do it at home for some reason, I can't get it to work. It's, it seems like um, a, a, some, a, something that people need to master. So, I mean, I'm sure over time you'll get it. I have faith in but you. But what, a, what, a, what an amazing gift, this aquafaba that that chef Truly. gave everybody. Like, he, he figured it out, and now everyone's just like, it's like he gave us a gift. I really appreciate yeah. people that do that. He's 100%. probably not like, I'm like, are you making anything off of this? No, you just, invent, you just <laughs> no. invented something and we all stole it. So thank you. <laughs> well, and how great to use like liquid from a can, like who, like in what world were you like, Oh, I mean, I, I can do that. I can do something with that. You know? I know. I know. Well, and you also, in this sweets chapter, you create staples uh, for multiple uses. You have a customizable cake in here, different flavors of buttercream frosting. Um, and like we said, the book's full of comfort foods. It's a multi-purpose book. We got some staples. But when we get back to sweets, what are a couple of your favorite sweets from the first book? Well, definitely the apple fritters, as you, as oh. you said you made. Because I'm a huge donut fan, huge fritter fan. So that so And the good. Pop-Tarts, because the Pop-Tarts for me... Mm as I think I say in the head note that like, I was never allowed to have junk food as a kid. Like we couldn't buy fruit roll-ups. You couldn't buy pop tarts. We couldn't, we never had any of that stuff. So to be able to recreate like a gourmet pop tart, that's like obviously has way nicer crust, like homemade pastry and stuff and a homemade filling for me, that was just something that was, uh, I guess, fulfilling for me to make because it was something I was never allowed to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. And now you're like, well, I'm going to do it vegan. I'm going to do it even better. Exactly. <laughs> well, this was a great debut for the cookbook world for for Hot for Food. Really, truly fantastic. A great collection of comfort foods, brilliantly brought together, and of course, with beautiful in- imagery. So we all thank you for that. Thank you. And we're going to move onward to your new book, Hot for Food All Day, Easy Recipes to Level Up Your Vegan Meals, comes out March 16th. Are you so excited? 
I'm so excited. I feel like I've been waiting forever. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the way, right? You work so hard. And then that space between when it comes out, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm ready. Let's do this. And like, yeah, back in like the winter, I just wanted to post like every photo to Instagram. It's like so hard not to do that. (laughs) I'm I actually in the winter, I had to hold myself back. I posted a couple before I think you started posting more. And I was like, Oh, she hasn't posted much yet. I need to like, because I had the review copy. And I was like, I need to stop and let her like spill the tea on her own book first. Because I was just so excited. I think you know, but they looked so good. And thanks for doing that. I loved that you I was like, you just did it on your own. Like we didn't ask you to do anything. You just did it. So that's why I was like, oh, wow, he must be really stoked on this. So thanks for doing that. It was so cool to see. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. I actually am really stoked on this book. Like I said, I was cooking from it. And the coolest part is, and what I've loved about you and Hot for Food is, is, like I was saying before, you empower your audience to just cook, to just get in the kitchen, fly without a recipe. And while this book is loaded with recipes, it's that sort of energy that sort of fuels the book, offering ways to recycle leftovers uh, into new creations or to level up items that ties in uh to that sort of infectious enthusiasm you offer on hot for food when it comes to cooking, was it challenging or restrictive at all for you to write recipes while also sort of staying in line with your audience and encouraging them to have freedom to play with their food? That's a good question. And thanks for, I'm, I, it's funny because when you you have the vision, like it's like, I want to infuse that concept. How do I do it in a clean way? How do I do it in a way that still makes sense and still is obviously a cookbook? Like I'd love to put together a, 300 page book that doesn't have any measurements in it. (laughs) Oh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't that just be the dream? You'd be like, just do it till it tastes good. Put these things in it. Yeah, that's my dream book. But I couldn't couldn't do that, obviously. So no, I didn't find it restrictive. I found it so much fun. And to be honest, had to like, limit myself, like I could have kept going, but then you have this limit of how many pages and how many recipes from the publisher. But I was like, I could keep leveling this up. I could keep going. And I had, yeah. to just, I just had to quit. So no, I I'm hoping, and there's only so many words you can fit on a page. So, you know, what I'm hoping to do uh, is like continue to show people how to level this stuff up through social media and other videos and whatnot. So it'll still be like unique stuff, but um, there's just, there's just so many ways you can do something. And And I really, you know, I have so much content, so much recipes. It's like, I can kind of, I can kind of use what I already have. And the people that are like making this stuff all the time, it's like, we can really just keep going and leveling up and leveling up. And this word level up I had in my mind from the very beginning, because I started, I don't know if you noticed this, but level up is this thing from video games, but like it was being used everywhere in marketing. Like I was like, everyone's using this word level up, especially like in the meditation and spiritual world. I kept seeing people using level up and I was like, I need to use level up. Like I need to, I was like, I have to call my, I, I want to call the book. Like I want the main title to be level up, but anyway, I, I'm happy with the way it is. And I kind of just like, I was just obsessed with wanting to use level up and I needed a different phrase other than recipe, which is what I say on my videos. <laughs> so I was like, that doesn't, you can't read that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so yeah, that's, I had to kind of come up with a clever solution to that, but um, yeah, it's definitely the ethos of hot for food. And um, thanks for, I guess, picking up on what I'm putting down and I'm glad, yeah. you know, you I don't, don't... Ever, you don't know it's going to translate through the pages till you're sure. done. And then you're like, okay, fine. Like I get like, now I'm like, yeah, it works. And I just, I hope everyone can feel that it works. And I hope that the way you feel about it is the way everyone's going to 
Oh, I have no doubt they will be. You really have an incredible knack for leveling up in a way that makes it super fun for people. I made the corn chowder because my husband loves corn chowder. He loves corn in general. And I was able to repurpose the soup. See, it's I do too, actually. I really do love it. Mm -hmm. And the soup I had left over to make, uh, I I made this super tasty, super delicious cacio e pepe pasta. Did I say it right? I think so. I mean, I had to go to Google too and figure out how to say it. <laughs> a couple I put it in when I was making it. I put it in Google Translator and of course on there she says Caccio e Pepe. And I was like, okay, I think I got it right. Um, but and as you educate us in the book, that's uh, Italian for cheese and pepper. So when you think of the craziest things you made leftovers with in hot for food all day, is there anything that comes to mind right off the bat, a specific recipe? Um I think, I mean, I, I'm proud of the corn chowder one that goes to Katia so and also a corn chowder hollandaise. Um, ah, yes. Because you're like, what are you talking about? Corn and Katia e Pepe? Like, but this is what I love about the vegan food because I feel mm-hmm. like when you're using vegetables and seasonings, like, there's really hard to screw it up. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just think yeah. it is hard to screw it up. I was like, okay, the color profile's right. And whenever in doubt, anytime I'm in doubt, I just blend it just to see what happens. Like, okay, let's just blend this and see. You know, I never thought about that with vegetables. I almost feel like the only time I've messed vegetables up is when I've oversalted them or overseasoned them. Yeah. Oversalting or overcooking. Like anything Uh green, like, like I said before, you can't overcook green stuff. Like you got to be careful. But, um, yeah, corn, I was like, okay, like corn is like kind of a neutral flavor once you've got all the seasonings. Plus there's potatoes in the soup. And I know from blending, having made my cheese sauce from potatoes, that once you blend that starch, it's like super smooth and silky. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just like that I like cacio e pepe. I, if someone would, someone would hate me for making cacio e pepe out of corn chowder, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter. Guess what? It, it, we get to do what we want. We're writing the book, not them. So it's fine. Yeah. It's your book, girl. You write what you want to. Yeah. So I hope that like people think it's fun to do that. And again, I think by being a little, um, what, I don't know the word, like just taking those risks that people will also like, you know, do that in their kitchens. Like, let's just see what happens. Like I can always, I can always do something or add something to make this thing edible. Like, I just don't think you can screw it up that much unless you said you add too much salt. Sure. sure. There's no, there's no going back on this, on the too much salt. I truly, it, one of the most exciting things, I, I I believe people will embrace this leveling up situation because it's one of the most exciting things for me. And so that being said, let's look more at the recipes. Then we start out with the breakfast chapter from omelets to bars and muffin muffins. You have us covered. What's a favorite breakfast recipe from this new book, hot for food all day. Well, I do like also, this is a level up, but I show the scones. I'm a big scone fan, love pastries and Mm. scones. So I do the scones four ways. And then, and this was actually a recipe that took me a few tries to figure out, but the broken scone breakfast muffins. So you can take your leftover scones, or you might want to freeze some of your savory scones. um, And then you can use them for this. You break them up and put them in a muffin tray. And then you make kind of like a chickpea flour, like, type batter that's like a little eggy egg like I guess as a binder and pour that over the broken scones and then put cheese and hash browns in there uh you also you also blend the hash browns because again blended potatoes really good binder you should see Um, my face right now genius keep going (laughs) so then you make these broken scone breakfast muffins and there's like a completely transformed thing that you made a into a muffin 
And I think, you know, I wanted to make a sweet version with the sweet scones, but I'm hoping that people will just figure that out themselves, that they'll just go and make a broken scone sweet version. Um, I might show it on a video, but um, yeah, I, I really like that idea. And that originally I wanted, it was going to be a broken scone casserole, but uh, the trick was that, uh, sorry, the stainless steel muffin pan is what actually made the thing taste better. You know how like cooking in like glass or metal is different. Yes. Um, it, it, when I did the casserole version, there was just something wasn't right about it. And I kept adding more seasonings and doing all the stuff and it still wasn't right. And then I was actually help. Timmy was helping me. And then we stuffed it all into a muffin pan and then it got this nice crust on the outside. And I was like, Oh, okay. This completely is now it's completely different. And so that's how that whole testing thing happened. But uh, yeah, I feel like it got, it got to a place that I'm really happy with. Um, I also really like the granola. Like it's just a super easy homemade coconut granola that you just make on the big baking sheet. You don't need to use a bowl. And then it makes quite a bit and it lasts a while. And then you can use a scoop and a half of it to make a dessert recipe. So you're going to jump all the way to sweet stuff and make the Rocky Road bars, which oh have the gosh. crunchy coconut granola on the top with pretzels wow. and marshmallows. And it's so delicious. Uh I have so much more I want to cook already in this book. And this is moving us into the lunch stuff chapter with soups, sandwiches, and wraps. Uh, I love this chapter because as we've talked about the leveling up, the soups really seem to lend themselves to that. Um, as I mentioned, the corn chowder to a pasta and you give us tortilla soup that can be leveled up to red sauce enchiladas or chipotle cheese fries. Uh, and I made the clubhouse sandwich from this chapter. I had no idea I missed club sandwiches until I made this. It's perfectly seasoned tofu with easily made beet bacon served with uh, club sandwich, as you do with mayo, vegan mayo, of course, and lettuce, tomato, and toasted bread. It was really so tasty and paired perfectly with that corn chata, too, I got to tell you. Uh, you never leave us for want when it comes to bowls or salads either. So you always give us balance. Uh, and I, I like that in some of your what I what I eat in a day videos. I always kind of see you, you've got a good balance in there, too. And this bowl chapter and hot for food all day, for someone who just gets this book, what is one of your favorite bowls you would tell them to make straight away from the bowl chapter? Ooh, well, I'm a sucker for like the Asian flavors. So I'd probably go with the soba noodle base mm. and then do the kabocha, miso roasted kabocha squash on top, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite squash, if not even maybe favorite vegetable than cauliflower. Um, and then do some either pickled or roast. I do a roasted purple cabbage in there, but you could easily just make a quick pickled purple cabbage as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, sesame seeds. If you wanted, you could do the crispy tofu on there too. The thing with the bowls is like, you know, I did, I wanted to include a bit more, you know, uh, direction, but I couldn't due to space. And sure, I figured, sure. you know what? You know what? The pictures are all there. All the components are there. Now it's really up to you. And this is the empowering aspect yeah. of, of what I want to get across is just, you know, do what feels good. Figure it out. You might not like if I if I told you to put a bowl together, you, guaranteed people would want to sub out two to three things anyway. So really, it, it has to be you. But you got to. That's why I outline just sort of the essentials, because as long as you have the different textures, the different flavors, the layers, the fatty dressing, you know, you're going to be satiated. So it really, to me, once I saw it kind of put together, I was like, that's cool. It's like really about these components. And then it's really up to the user to kind of um, put it together. Yeah. So, make, make what speaks to them the most. That's great. Yeah. 
I love that. And then we've got the dinner stuff chapter. This is where I got a little angry at you in the best way. Oh, in the best way. Only because I'm jealous because I hadn't thought of it first. You give us a one pot mac and cheese. But honey, you went. then you do the damn thing and level it up once again. Not twice, but five times with a buffalo chicken mac and cheese, a pizza mac and cheese, a Thai red curry mac and cheese, a Tex-Mex mac and cheese, and a green mac and cheese. So which mac and cheese would you say is your favorite of these? Oh, I love the Thai mac and cheese. Mm, I was, you know, I, I was like, I was like, I, f- I hope she says that one because it's, it sounds like the most out of the box one to me. It is. And it's so tasty, tasty with the red curry paste. I mean, I think people thought I would probably say the buffalo chicken, which is also amazing. Of course. But there's just something about the Thai mac and cheese. It's like fancy, like it's mac and cheese, right? So simple, so basic. But then when you make it the Thai mac and cheese, it feels like you're eating a, some type of gourmet thing. Like, and I just really like the flavor profiles in that one. And I could go on. I had way more mac and cheese. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> There's this great place. They're still open. They almost closed in the pandemic. And then somebody actually bought it and kept them open in St. Louis called Lulu's Local Eatery. And we filmed there and they had like four different mac and cheeses on the menu. It was all that. It was like putting different stuff on it. It was so good. Oh. Uh, and w- I love love mac and cheese, so it can be the me base too, of anything. Mama. Yes, me too. Uh, there's a great other great pastas in this book as well. That go beyond the mac of it all, like the rag- ragu bolognese, which is featured on the cover, and the bacon kale pasta, easy Brussels sprouts pasta. Then you expand through pasta with sloppy Joe zucchini boats, miso roasted kabocha squash, which you chatted about three ways, crispy tofu fingers, and cauliflower steaks. What's one of your favorite recipes from the dinner stuff chapter? Well, the dinner is a lot of like leveling up because, um, well, I don't even know why, because, but there's just a lot of ways to level up stuff. But the zucchini boats, like, I do really like them. I feel like they're kind of, at first I hesitated about putting them in the book, but I was like trying to figure out just something to do with the zucchini because you use the zucchini to make the carbonara, which people will know that recipe. It's kind of like a hit from the YouTube channel. So I want to include it, but the, I only included it if I could use it for something else. Right. So that's where the zucchini boats came from. I mean, sloppy Joe flaves, you know, the ground round I'm so down and it's just a really easy recipe. And again, I'm super into just like making sure like we level up our vegetables, like zucchini is like blah, whatever. But if you blend it into a carbonara sauce, amazing, so nutritious, hardly any fat. And then for the zucchini boats, because you're adding them with like a really, uh, you know, meaty filling, but then you're getting, you know, a hearty, uh, fibrous zucchini. I just feel like disguises it. I'm all about disguising those vegetables. Sure. And so that's what I like about, about those two recipes, even with the ragu bolognese. I mean, you could easily make a quick bolognese using like guarding ground round. Sure. But I like rammed a lot of vegetables in there and disguised them. So you're really eating quite a nutritious sauce that's full of fiber. That's fantastic. And satiating, I would imagine nice and hearty and satiating. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's also worth mentioning, uh, you've got uh, a grilled cheese recipe in this book. You leveled up four times with a sharp spice, sweet and creamy grilled cheese. I can't wait to level up and try those. And lucky for us, you tackle snacks and staples. Um, I love popcorn. So I'm living for this hot for food popcorn seasoning uh, list, including everything seasoning, Old Bay, dill pickle, Tokyo mix and pink beet caramel popcorn. Can you tell us about the pink beet caramel popcorn a little bit? Yes. Um, well, I just remember, and I don't know if you do you have kernels in the States, like in Canada, we had this yeah. chain called kernels. Oh okay, no, not know. a chain. Sorry. I was, oh my gosh. I was like, we have popcorn kernels. Oh no, no. Like <laughs> it was like a, it was like a pop 
popcorn store in the food court that like no at least not that i know of called kernels okay it's a canadian thing for sure i don't even know if they still exist but it's definitely nostalgic for me because you go to the mall, you can smell the popcorn all through the mall and it's coming from the kernel stand and you go to the kernel stand and they have every flavor of popcorn. They have like the Chicago style mix, they have caramel corn, they have every like ranch, cheddar, dill pickle, everything. And you can get it all mixed together. You can get individual bags, you can do whatever. And they always had, of course, the, the pink caramel corn. Um, and I used beets a lot in this book. And so because of that, the the beet caramel wasn't even the first idea. I think it was more the last idea. It was the beet bacon, then the beet goddess dressing. And I was like, oh, I just was super into pink. Actually, if you even look at the photography, there's a little bit of like a pinky tone to some of those photos. And so that's where I was like, okay, I got to make pink caramel popcorn. Like, how am I going to do it? And then I don't know. I just was like, oh yeah, duh, beets. So it's just like cooked beet or not cooked beets. Sorry, you actually want to use raw beet because raw beet is brighter in color and more pink. So you just blend some chunks of it, or you can buy like frozen chunks of beet in the, and that's what I buy, just like frozen chunks you can get them at Trader Joe's or whatever. And so you blend a sauce with coconut cream and you, you cook it into a caramel and then you toss your pop popcorn in it and bake it a little bit to cure it and let it dry. And I don't know, it doesn't taste like beet at all because it's got sugar in it, um, but it makes it so pretty. It's it sounds it it sounds delicious and I know it's gorgeous and I I'm gonna have to make it and I'm gonna have to make all those popcorns because I just love popcorn I'm crazy for popcorn me too so let's finish things out uh the way you do in the book with the sweet stuff chapter like you do with the customizable cake in the first book you give us a loaf here to make three ways uh lemon chia black forest and pumpkin I have actually made the lemon chia uh it came together so easily citrusy sweet oh. delicious with a delicate delicate glaze layer i didn't post it yet because that's when i had my moment of like wait i'm not gonna post anything because i see you you were like rolling the stuff out i was like i'm gonna hold off uh but you also do puff pastry four ways in this book so what's your favorite way to level up the puff pastry okay well i'm a huge fan of puff pastry i just think it's like because it's accidentally vegan in most cases, right? There, there are vegan yes. brands, but there are also just mainstream brands that they're made with, uh, you know, vegetable shortening and stuff. So it's super convenient and easy. You never want to attempt your own puff pastry because, like, what a nightmare. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> just buy the frozen stuff. And there's so many things you could do. But, oh, you want me to pick my favorite? I think I really like the uh, the, the mini strawberry tarts. Um just because I like the way it puffs up around the filling. Like, mm. I don't even know what to describe it. It just gets a really nice poof on it. And you could also, of <laughs> I course, think that's you could a great do description. Any... That's a great description. Yeah. You could do any filling you want. Like, you could just do a different fruit. Uh, but I did strawberries for, you know, some red, pop a red in that photo. Not? Yeah, it's always yeah. beautiful. And just like that, that pink beet caramel popcorn my goodness uh and of course we have to mention you have a no churn salted caramel tahini ice cream in here i have my eye on that and it, it can be leveled up to a salted caramel tahini milkshake which sounds like a dream to me uh when it comes to the sweet stuff chapter what's uh one of your absolute favorites a sweet that had to go in the book oh a sweet that had to go in the book okay well it's very hard for me to pick and I need to ask your opinion on something after. Mm. But the one, the the rice crispy, uh, chocolate peanut butter crispy cake, mm. because this was inspired as I did right in the head note by something I used to eat in Toronto with, that I miss all the time because I'm not in Toronto as often now. I'm not living there. Um, but it, 
yeah, it's like a peanut butter crispy cake. And so it's just like sweetened oh. peanut butter around the, the crispies and then a chocolate topping. It's like super easy. It's very kid friendly, I guess, except for the peanut butter, if you have peanut allergy, but it's sure. just like, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's a bit of like a rice crispy treat again, like leveled up. And this thing that I used to get in Toronto from this bakery, Mabel's, I mentioned it in the head note. Cause it's just, it's literally like you bite into it and you die. Now I, I am not going to lie. I didn't get mine to be exactly like theirs because I think they're, <laughs> I think that they use like corn syrup or powdered sugar. Of course, they sure. Definitely use something not as good in there. And that's why it's so good. So I just, I recreated it as best I could without going too crazy on the sugar. Well, so maybe you yeah. leveled us up in like the health area just a little bit. You made it a little healthier ish. <laughs> I mean, it's still a sweet, but still it's not as bad then perhaps. Yeah, it's like just a titch. It only has three quarters of a cup of maple yeah. syrup. So it's like not that bad per slice. But then I want to ask you, what do you, when you think of that tahini ice cream, what do you think? It's a very divisive dessert amongst my friends. Some of them are like, really? oh, tahini ice cream. And other people, because like I'm obsessed with tahini. Well, I was like, for me, it's a no brainer, but I don't uh-huh. Well, so for me, it's also a no-brainer. There's a place in Philly, and I think it's called Goldie's, if memory serves correctly, and they have tahini milkshakes there. And so, and I had, I've been there maybe two or three times and every time I'm just so, it's so delicious. And so the minute I saw this, I got really, really excited. I'm into it. Okay, well, yep. I'm glad. <laughs> I know I won't be the only one. I know I won't be. The, but I love to hear that about your friends. I think that's funny because it doesn't surprise me either. Tahini was a, a hard one for me to get into, but eventually now I can't live without it. Oh, yeah. I've always loved it. I just think it's so dang delicious and such a good base. Right? Absolutely. It's like such a good base to add so many flavors to. And that's how I got into it was finally when I started using it in recipes. I was like, oh, I get this now. I'm understanding mm-hmm. this. So I can't mm-hmm. wait to make this ice cream. Uh, well, now I'm hungry. And this brings us into our book brag. Book brag. So this is a humble brag moment for you. Tell us something you're most proud of when it comes to the Hot for Food cookbooks. <gasps> Oh my God, I'm bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thing I'm most proud of. Um, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I should have thought about this answer before. I was going to say, it can know. be as simple as you wrote two freaking books now. Well, yeah. Look, okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to get more complicated because that's like how my brain works. But you yeah, can also no, get I mean, complicated. Well, I'm, I am really proud of myself. First of all, I was first really proud of myself after Vegan Comfort Classics. It's very emotional to think. Cause it, I, and it sounds kind of silly. Cause I used to interview a lot of artists, like musicians. Right. And they'd always talk about their art in a way that like, I couldn't really understand. And I thought they were bullshitting sometimes, Sure. but, but I will say, I understand more now after doing not only one book, but two books, cause it's a very similar creation process. And it's taken me a long time to tap into my creativity Meaning for sure, hot for food is like the pinnacle of it. But prior to that, I used to say I wasn't very creative. You know, I used to really not think I was capable of no doing kidding. this type, doing, doing what you see. Like I didn't think I was capable of it. Wow. So I think I'm really proud of myself for, uh, I guess, cultivating something or listening to something bigger than myself to like 
go in that go in this direction and then to actually be able to create these two books it's like an artist who creates their album and when they talk about it like a baby and like this precious thing like I used to just be skeptical of like the meaning behind that but now I get it and I get it because I did it and I and, you know I did it in book form but it's it's very much the same thing like this body of work right and it comes from a place that is bigger than yourself and you don't really know what's happening when you're doing it and when you get to look back on it it is something really to be proud of and 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 feel really good about. And yeah. again, regardless of how it's received, I, I, I'm in a place where it's like, regardless of how it's received, I'm proud of it. So yeah, yeah, that is a big, that's, that's for sure. Because there's that moment of like, you know, you're talking, we're, we're talking about it here today. You're talking about, well, how are people going to take this leveling up in this moment in the tahini and this and that. And then there's that moment where you kind of say, you have to stand back and go, no, I did this thing. I'm very proud of this. And that that's enough. Like, that's enough. Like, I did this and I'm very proud of it. And there's also yeah. that thing we talk about, too, when we talk about recipes as baby and all that stuff, like baby being our babies and stuff like that, or artists you spoke to previously. When you're working with the publisher, people don't know this, but like, you have to sort of like, there's moments where you have to you have to pick and choose your battles and you've got to stand up for the things that you really believe in and let some stuff go. So when yes. it does come out at the end, there is that moment of like, oh, where something ends up in the book and you're like, oh, I fought so hard hard to have that in there and then when it resonates with somebody you're like and that's why I fought so hard for it too you know so there there is a moment with books where it's when it comes out it's it is something to be so proud of I love that yeah I like that you brought that up just about the relationship with the publisher like I have a great relationship with my publisher and I love them so so much 10 speed press yes. um but 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 the real uh but that that whole process of working with someone like that is 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 so interesting and at the end of the day, the truth is that nobody will care as much as you. And so that's why it's, that's what makes it so difficult because you care so, so much and you have this vision and you know your brand. And I will say they definitely trust me and they definitely let me pretty much do whatever I want. And there isn't a lot of pushback or like dictating from the publisher. And that's the perfect relationship. That's yes. the perfect creative scenario. But when it comes down to certain aspects of like just the publishing process or just certain directions that probably are in your best interest, but you can't see that because mm -hmm. you're just very stubborn because it's your little baby. That's like where you're saying, you know, you got to like pick your battles when you let some of that stuff go, then you do realize in the end, okay, they are, they are on my side. They may not fully care as much as I do because nobody ever will, but, um, yeah, it, it all comes together. And if you can listen to yourself in that process, and like you said, pick some things and let go of other things, that's where you kind of get a smoother journey. Yeah, absolutely. I found too when I went into my second one, I I had, I, I I'm I'm almost positive you probably felt the same. There was a moment where I was like, oh, this is great. Like when you get to the part after you turn the manuscript, and I'm like, great, I'm ready to hear it. Like I want to collaborate now and like take this next level. So what what is some feedback? You know, so it is mm -hmm. a a moment of like being able to sort of receive that as well. It's helpful. Like you said, like, it, it's like, we're all on the same path here to sort of create something together. So it is really a great yeah. relationship. Well, that moves us into your Baker's Dozen rapid fire of questions. Are you ready for a <gasps> rapid fire round, my dear? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Number one, pancakes or waffles? Oh, waffles. Yes. Uh, favorite spice to cook with? Uh, do, 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 do. oh my god, <laughs> that's so hard. Favorite spice to cook with? Probably just garlic powder. I really right. love good garlic powder. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Must have kitchen tool. 
a microplane. Ah, very good. Uh, Brad well, Pitter. Or oh, Vitamix. Or, sorry, or Vi- I mean, Vitamix Splendor. But that's always my favorite. Oh. That's my go-to is that Vitamix. <laughs> I get it. It's, it's yeah, so yeah. good. Uh, Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Pitt. Brad Pitt. Cupcakes or donuts? Donuts. <laughs> yes. Favorite board game? Oh. Um, I like Monopoly. Oh, me too. People don't like playing Monopoly with me, though. I get real angsty in, like, if people want to, like, adjust the rules. I'm like, that's not how this is done. So Yeah, no, we should play together because I'm a big rule follower. Yep, especially on Monopoly. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Anyway, uh, drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race you would like to make dinner for? <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> well, I really like Brooklyn Heights. Yes. Oh, me too. I just sent a gift today to somebody with Brooklyn Heights whipping that hair back and forth. I uh, also really like Pearl. Oh, I heard you say Flaze Don a video recently, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh huh. Yeah, yeah, she's in it. Um, did you have a Degrassi crush, and who was it? Oh, yeah, Monroe. There you go. Yeah. Uh, food on a tiny spoon or food on a stick? Tiny spoon. Barbecue sauce or hot sauce? Hot sauce. What's an item on your bucket list? Oh my god! Like anything? Oh my, god. <laughs> my, bu- my bucket list. Oh shoot! Oh, <sighs> uh, to well, to have. I really want like a really cool like old Spanish house in California. Nice. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. B- beyond or impossible? Beyond. And favorite uh, favorite vegan restaurant? You're in LA now, right? Mm-hmm. So, what's your favorite yeah. vegan restaurant in LA? I mean, I think it would be my favorite vegan restaurant in general, but Crossroads Kitchen for sure. There you go. All right, uh, yeah. a good old good old tried and true Crossroads. That's your rapid fire. Good job. What do you think? Do you have a third book in you? Yes. I love it. Good. I hope so. That's great. I love it. I love it. I love it. But for now, isn't that ev- crazy? To uh, say, it's crazy to no, say that. No, it's like, not as- crazy. But like you can feel it in your bones. You do this, like the second one's about to come out. And I'm like, yeah, I can do a third. Let's go. (laughs) I totally get it. I just finished my third one. And in the middle of it, I was like, that's it. I'm not doing another one. In the minute that was done, I was like, okay, so for the fourth (laughs) one, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh. And my husband's looking at me like, are you insane? And I'm like, no, I kind of love it. So I'm I'm here for it. Uh, For now, everyone go get a copy of the first book, Hot for Food, Vegan Comfort Classics. And right now, pre-order the next Hot for Food cookbook, Hot for food all day coming out in a couple weeks. I promise you, you won't be sorry. And I also promise you that you want both of them. And Lauren, don't you have a pre-order incentive for anyone who pre-orders the book? Yes, I do. Thanks for mentioning that. So if you pre-order hot for food all day from any retailer anywhere, just keep your proof of purchase. Like usually you get one in your email or whatever, and then go to hotforfoodblog.com and you can claim a free ebook called Just Dessert Stuff with 10 recipes that are not in the book never before published so like that's a lot of recipes guys yes oh i love that you get in on that pre-order and get that uh ebook fantastic and of course be sure to watch and subscribe to the hot for food channel and learn in real life channels on youtube to get more of this vegan goddess please let everyone know where they can find you what is the best website and best place to follow you on social media 
Uh, definitely at Hot for Food or at Lauren Toyota on Instagram. And then hotforfoodblog.com always has uh, all the recipes, everything. And if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll probably get some extra bonus thing. Hey, hey, everyone loves a bonus thing. Uh, <laughs> well, I have some leftovers. I need to go level up now, my dear. Thanks for all you do making vegan food accessible to the masses across the globe. I'm grateful for you, Lauren. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful for you. And thank you for having me on this awesome podcast for an awesome chat. Just an absolute doll, a sweetheart. I adore her. She's literally adorable. She sounds adorable. Oh my goodness. I just love her so much. And I was so happy to finally get to spend some time with her and chat with her. And it it was just so great. I I really, I really do uh, just love everything that she does and her, her her whole, you know, just her whole, her whole energy. Her whole vibe. And you guys like have a nice little chemistry. Oh, you're an angel. Um, And yeah. So everyone remember to pre-order hot for food all day. Easy recipes to level up your vegan meals right now. Like right now. Do it right now. But then come um, back here. And then but then come back here. Um and then go to hotforfoodblog.com. So go there. Come back here. Purchase. Yeah. Go there. Come back. <laughs> go to hotforfoodblog.com to submit your proof of purchase to get a free ebook with even more recipes and most importantly to get access to the digital launch party on March 16th. Yeah. Yes, such a great idea to do a digital launch party, and I'm thrilled to be part of it. So pre-order that book and come hang with us on the 16th. What do you say? I think they should say yes. Yes. Or or, yes. Yes. Um, All right. So, Beb, what do we got for Dustin's dish this week? What's your your dish? Knife skills. Oh. I, I was just saying, hi, Beb. Uh, knife skills. Listen, people ask me all the time what knife I use, and we have a few at home, but my favorite one is a brand uh, called Misen. M-I-S-E-N. I think my knife cost me maybe $60, and it is perfect. I love it. It's the one with the blue handle. Have you yeah. used it, Beb? Mm-hmm. Um of course, maintenance is key. So get yourself a sharpening steel or stone and watch some how-to videos at YouTube University so you can get the best use out of your knife. On that note, y'all, YouTube, this is about knife skills. I'm just telling you what kind of knife that I use because I know that question is going to come after I talk about knife skills. Um YouTube is amazing for everything. I mean, I'm currently learning how to better my skills on Excel worksheets on YouTube. It's this YouTube course that's totally free. So if you're curious about expanding your knife skills, I encourage you to get on YouTube and type in knife skills and you'll be all set. There's so much of what we want to learn. It's just at your fingertips today. And knife skills is no exception. And it just takes practice over and over. You start with an onion, then you do a carrot. You'll learn lots of things, different cuts. It'll be amazing. And um, and I will add on to that. that um I know the knife is like $60. Like, sure, that's a lot for a knife. But as someone, you know, who who also uses the knife, like, you can tell a difference. Well, it's interesting you bring up the price because I actually think that's inexpensive for a chef's knife. Sure, but I think maybe the home cook is probably like, oh, that's a lot for like one utensil. Sure. But the thing that you use the most, the thing that you need to be super sharp, if you're like mincing garlic or doing anything small or like precise, you need that sharp. And then, but the weight of the handle, as you'll learn with knife skills, is important. You know, like everybody has that Ikea knife that like you've had oh, for probably well, about Well, I was just going to say, did you have like, <laughs> did your mom have a drawer full of like terrible knives? Oh, the worst. My mother had the worst, has well, the worst knives. I felt like there was always a, a huge amount of serrated knives, which I'm like, yes, mine for too. like it bread and strange. tomatoes. Like, well, and I'd say, I think we have maybe 
uh, four really good knives. Yeah. And mm-hmm. really, there's two of them I use all the time. We have four because I'm a chef. Well, you yeah. only need people. I'm telling you, we talk about the price and we're bringing up knife skills because you only need one. That's it. Get one really good Get knife really and good you're one. totally set. And just uh, take care of it, maintenance, keep it sharpened. And knife skills are really fun once you get going mm-hmm. and you can just kind of chop things up. It's amazing. So um, get over onto YouTube University. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up and say YouTube is because people ask me all the time, well, like, knife skills, how can I learn knife skills and how can I this and that with knives and this and that with knives a little this and that with knives but like whenever i teach a class people will be like well what about knife skills and the thing is it's time so yep. i can't i could give you a knife skills class like here in atlanta at cook's warehouse where i do uh knife skills and it would be you know an hour and a half long we'd learn some cuts but then that's it the thing is you got to keep doing mm-hmm. it to get Homework. really good at it so you'd want to go home and practice it every time you know and it takes practice to learn your little claw with your knife and everything so anyways youtube university look up night skill knife skills. do it it'll be amazing yeah and uh everybody most important thing of this whole thing um is not to just pre-order the book is uh <laughs> do us a solid uh and rate review and subscribe this podcast uh wherever you listen to podcasts we super appreciate it and it, and it really really helps um us out yeah you know so we're still still semi new like, in the podcast help pool. us help us out um and spread the word spread the word yep. tell your mother your sister your brother your aunt your uncle your family your friends everybody and we do appreciate you so so much we hope you are staying safe and healthy thanks for joining us come back next week for a new episode until then keep on cooking and remember it's nice to be nice this has been a muzzy cat production